We're up to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, page 553 in the Bibles. The Bibles are the black books in the chairs. Page 553, Isaiah 6, 1 through 8. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. This is what Isaiah says. In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the threshold shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed, and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever heard the term thin place or thin places? The term comes from Celtic spirituality, the spirituality of our brothers and sisters who live in Scotland and Ireland. And the Celts have a saying that says, heaven and earth are only three feet apart, but in some places, it's much less than that. The Isle of Iona in Scotland is often considered to be a thin place, a place where heaven and earth come close together. A place where when people go there and make pilgrimage, they have encounters of the divine. But when people speak about their encounters of being in a thin place, they do not describe it as having like a warm and fuzzy experience of God. They use words like, I felt unmasked. I felt disoriented. I felt that I had been jolted into a realization of who I really was. There are thin places all over. You don't have to go to Scotland to find them. For some of us, it's a cathedral. For some of us, it's an ocean or a mountain or the Grand Canyon. These places where suddenly we're caught by the presence of God. And sometimes that presence isn't always so great. Nadia Boltz Weber is a pastor in Denver. And in her most recent book, Accidental Saints, she tells this story. I was recently asked by an earnest young seminarian, Pastor Nadia, 
What do you do personally to get closer to God? Before I even realized I was saying it, I replied, what? <laughs> Nothing. Sounds like a horrible idea to me, trying to get closer to God. Half the time, I wish God would leave me alone. Getting closer to God might be getting told to love someone I don't even like, or to give away even more of my money. It might mean letting some idea or dream that is dear to me get ripped away. That's what happens in Isaiah 6. Isaiah somehow stumbles into a thin place, a place where the veil between heaven and earth disappears. He may have been in the actual temple. We don't know. I don't think he knows. But suddenly, he's in the temple and he sees the Lord on a throne, high and lofty, and he says, just the hem, just the hem of his robe fills the whole temple, and everything's shaking, and the seraphs are there, and the Hebrew word for seraph is to burn, to burn brightly, and so you have these brightly burning angels with six wings flowing around and saying, holy, 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 and there's shaking, and there's smoke, and he's terrified. He is absolutely terrified. He says, woe is me. I am lost. I am undone. I am wrecked. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. All of Isaiah's sin is suddenly exposed for all to see. All of the wickedness he has accumulated in his life, all the depravity that's just simply there because he is a human being, is suddenly laid bare before God and everyone else, and he is just wrecked. He is undone. He realizes that in the presence of a holy God, high and lifted up, he deserves to die. Woe is me, I am undone, I am lost. We may find it a bit odd that he focuses on the lips as an area of sin. I mean, he had a lot of options. He could have said, I am an idolater, and I come from a nation of idolaters. I am unfaithful, I come from people who are unfaithful. I'm proud, I envy, I have anger, I have lust issues, I am greedy, I have sought. Why the lips? I'm a man of unclean lips. couple of things. One is, with our lips, we profess what we believe. With our lips, we curse. With our lips, we gossip. With our lips, we lie. Think of how much sin is committed simply through the mouth, simply through speech. Just watch cable news. <laughs> we are a people of unclean lips. The other things lips do is show affection, right, with a kiss. And it was very popular in some cultures then that you, you kissed the thing that you were worshiping. You would go for and you would kiss it. Some of you have seen this in icons and other places where people kiss the thing that they're worshiping. It shows loyalty. It shows affection. It shows identity. And the lips of the people and the lips of Isaiah have been affectionate toward the wrong things. 
So he is a man of unclean lips. He comes from a people of unclean lips. And he has seen the Lord. And he is absolutely wrecked. He is terrified. And we read this experience and we hear about Nadia Bolt Weber, about what happens when you get close to God. And we say, you know, I'm good. I'm good. Glad that was for you, Isaiah. I'm, I'm just going to stay right over here. Because frankly, I like my sins a little bit hidden. In fact, let's be honest, I like my sins a lot hidden. I don't really like to tell other people my sins. I don't really like to tell myself my sins that much. I, I really, I mean, that's not something that comes up in conversation regularly. How's your sinning been? We like to hide our sin and shroud our shame. We do everything we can to cover it up. Isn't it interesting that a phone company comes out with a phone that has a browser thing that you can mark just private? It's like the iPhone comes out and says, we know what you're going to do with this, so let's just help you out. When you want to sin, just use this. Use the private setting. No one will know what you're looking at. Just hide your sin. Just, you know. And I think part of the problem, too, is that in North American evangelicalism, there's this rush to Jesus, right? So it's like as soon as somebody mentions sin, we're like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> Safe now. It's like there's this big spiritual game of tag that's being done. Like, the sins are coming at us, and we're like, Jesus! Don't got to talk about my sin now. I'm just going to talk about my Jesus. But the passage in Isaiah, the experience of Isaiah, shows us that when we do that, when we just skip over our sin, when we're like, la, 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 about our sin, we miss an opportunity. Because when Isaiah names his sin, God enters in. When Isaiah names his sin, God enters in. He says, woe, woe is me. I'm in trouble. I'm in a deep mess. My sins are exposed. I should die right here and right now. Everything's over for me. And then what happens? A seraph, one of the angels that attends the Lord himself, comes over and uses a tong to take a coal from the altar. From the altar. The altar is the place in the temple where people come day after day after day after day to make their sacrifices. They bring them out of thanksgiving, but most of the time they bring them out of repentance and with a desire for reconciliation. So from that altar, the place of repentance and reconciliation, the seraph takes, he uses tongs, and takes a coal, and then what does he do with it? He puts it on Isaiah's lips, the very source of the sin, the very fount from which the sin comes out. He puts them right on his lips, and he says, now that this has touched you, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. 
Can you imagine? Your guilt is departed. All the things Isaiah has done from the time he was conscious, all the things that he carried within him, all the things that he said that he shouldn't have said, all the things that he didn't say that he should have, all the things that he did and just regretted, and every time he thought about them, oh, they just caused him so much pain. Just wish, yeah, I know that person forgave me, but I just feel so stupid about the whole thing. All of it, gone. Your guilt has departed. And your sin, your sin that was exposed for all to see is blotted out. We can't even see it anymore, Isaiah. It's just, it's gone. Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt is departed and your sin is blotted out. And Isaiah is transformed. He is transformed. He is changed. He's in the court of God, and God looks out and says, whom shall we send? Who's going to go for us? And I mean, he's got seraphs, right? He's got, some, he's got some good people. He's got some good players. He's got a deep bench. And Isaiah says, me, 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 me. You got to send me, me, totally me, me, me. Please, me, me, pick me, pick me, pick me. Here am I. Send me. You got to send me. You totally have to send me. Why? Because he has experienced the amazing transformation of naming his sin, watching what God does, and he can't wait to tell other people about it. He can't wait to have other people have the same experience of naming their sin and having God enter in and being forgiven. He just can't wait. And you see this in the lives of people who have been transformed by the gospel. We have support groups in our counseling center for many things, but we have support groups for students, men and women, who are addicted to porn. And in the spring, some of those students will be on a panel, and they'll talk about their addiction and what it's been like. And our first impulse may be like, whoa, they're going like, to be up in front of everybody and say that they're addicted to porn. Yes because they have named their sin, they have seen God enter in, their lives have been changed, and they want everybody else to have the exact same experience. They can't wait to tell you about it, because when they name their sin, they also get to talk about new life, they also get to talk about forgiveness, they also get to talk about Jesus. When they name their sin, God enters in and they're transformed and they want that for all of us. That's what happens. And tonight, we're going to give you an opportunity to name your sin. In just a minute, I'm going to pray. And our chaplains are here, along with Bob Crow, who serves as an elder in his church. And they're going to be at each of the end of the aisle. So one, two, three, four, five. And if you want, you do not have to. If you want, you're invited to go up to one of the pastors or elder and say, I confess, and then finish the sentence. I confess my envy toward my roommate who has rich parents 
and seems to have a pretty easy life. I confess that I lied to my professor about the reason why my paper was late. I confess my lust and my addiction to pornography. Whatever it is. You don't have to go on. You don't have to list them all. But just name a sin that weighs on you. Name a sin that prevents you from living the life that God wants you to live. Just name it. Say it out loud. I confess this. And then in response, the person to whom you are confessing will say to you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Your guilt has departed. Your sin is blotted out. And then we are going to take oil, little flasks of oil, and we're going to make the sign of the cross on your forehead. We can't do burning coals <laughs> for obvious reasons. But in Scripture, oil is a symbol of purification, it's a symbol of healing, and it's a symbol of commission. When someone is installed as a priest or a king in Israel, that person is anointed. They are set apart. And the community says, now you go do what God has given you to do. So when you confess your sin, when you name your sin and God enters in and forgiveness is proclaimed over you, you're then sent out to go and tell other people about it. Now, you may just want to tell one other person what you confessed. You may just want to, like, keep it in the moment of confession. But if you have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, you've got to have the same zeal in you that Isaiah had of, like, send me, send me, I'll tell him. Please, pick me. Let me tell him. Now, I'll say this again. You do not have to do this. Is not a requirement. If you want to, you can stay right where you are. You can kneel right where you are. You can come forward and kneel here and pray. You can do whatever you want. But there is something that happens when we say our sin out loud. And we say it out loud to another. You also need to know that having done this a few times, uh, we do not remember what you say to us. It's, it's an amazing work of the Holy Spirit. We, will, we may remember, like, sins, generally speaking, but we won't attach them to, like, individuals. So when we see you on the path, we won't be like, oh, yeah, Stephanie, wow, well, okay. Mm. <laughs> All right? We move into this communally, okay? We move into this together. This is safe space. And it's safe because God has made it safe in Jesus Christ. We're not just saying these words because we'd like them to be true. We're not just saying these things to you because we think it's going to like make your life easier. We say these things because it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We say these things because if these things aren't true, then nothing else matters. We say these things because we fully believe that when we name our sin, God enters in and transforms us for a life of service that we can't even imagine.